Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. After the crowd subsided, we leave the sands and clothes full of uh, dirt and blood and bare feet. That's Hamid, the man I tried and failed to help leave Afghanistan last year. After the suicide attack at the Kabul airport last summer, Hamid and his family went back home. They huddled there, keeping their heads down. They kept using the nicknames Hamid had come up with when the Taliban took control. I'm not using their real names because they are still in danger. Hamid's wife, Jamila, has a master's degree in sociology. She was pregnant when the government collapsed. And then there was their daughter, Eliza, who was just outside the blast radius of the bomb that killed more than 180 people at the airport. As a father, everyone hopes for their children. The first thing is to be safe. And then they should have access to at least to basic uh, life facilities. Like uh, the first thing is education, good nutrition. We cannot provide the basic needs when we cannot provide uh, it today. So the future worries us the most. On December 2nd, 2021, Hamid got an email from Jeris, the French NGO where he'd worked for four years. France does not wish to expand its reception capacity for political asylum. It is therefore with great sadness that we have to acknowledge that we cannot today and with the support of France help you to leave Afghanistan. So how did you feel knowing all of this and receiving a a rejection letter? Hopeless. I lost the only option I had in my life to get out of this country. So I missed it. I missed the only hope for myself, for my family, for my kids. I'm Sumaya Tora, a human rights advocate. This is No Way Home, a production of The Intercept and New America. In this four-part series, you've been hearing stories that were found, developed, and reported by Afghans like me, who have been forced into exile. Our stories reflect what we saw with our own eyes and what we and other Afghans have experienced firsthand since the U.S. military pulled out, the Afghan government collapsed, and the Taliban took over last summer. This is Episode 4, Getting Out Alive. (laughs) 
Like everyone, Hamid and Jamila knew the Taliban's history of denying basic rights to girls and women. It was one of the main reasons they risked their lives trying to leave last August. You know, it all happened so suddenly. There were fights in the provinces, and you would hear about it on Facebook that this province or that province has fallen. In that moment, the first thing I remembered was my daughter. I looked at her, and she was sleeping, and then I cried intensely and and said, my daughter's future is over and, and ruined. But something else was even more threatening to Hamid and his family. They are Hazaras, an ethnic minority that has faced decades of discrimination in Afghanistan. Hiding is difficult. Their ethnicity is clear from his and his family's facial features and their accents. And they practice Shia Islam in a place that is mainly Sunni. Hamid was born in Kabul and spent his early childhood in a mainly Hazar neighborhood called Dashtebarchi. That's where he and his family lived last year, when the U.S.-backed government fell. When I went to school till until two grades in Dashtebarchi in west of Kabul, so I feel that uh, it was uh, obvious for everyone that. Uh, like uh, other people, uh, except Hazaras, they had a uh, uh, good life. They had access to more facilities in their lives. And they had cars, they had uh, bicycles, they had motorcycles, uh, all these things that most of the Hazaras didn't have at that time. Hamid was eight years old when the Soviet-backed Afghan government collapsed, the same age his own daughter, Eliza, is now. When the Mujahideen factions that had been fighting the Soviets with backing from the U.S., Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and other countries took Kabul, each group seized control of a different part of the city, and they began fighting each other. The country fell into civil war. The Mujahideen factions were dominated by different ethnic groups. A Hazara faction called Hizb Wahdat Islami controlled Dashtabarchi. Hamid and his family spent about six months in Dashtibarchi, while the Mujahideen fired artillery at each other, destroying Kabul's buildings and killing many civilians. Then his parents decided to take the family to Bamiyan, a mountainous province north of Kabul that is known as the Hazara homeland. So when we left Kabul to Bamiyan, it was a very tough time. All the roads uh, linked to Bamiyan were closed at that time, and everyone was uh, detained and questioned. Bamiyan has remained relatively peaceful over decades of war, but getting there was hazardous. So when we were going in this road and passing these roads, so we were questioned, we insulted like Hazaras for our uh, uh, features and uh, our faces, and uh, all the kids were... I remember that the kids were around the street and when we were passing the shouting on at us and laughing. So many checkpoints were on the road and stopped our car many times and asking, who are you, where are you going? And even the 
mm. uh, made us to pay them some money to to allow them to cross the road. The Taliban's leaders grew up fighting the Soviets, and the group came to power for the first time in 1996 by defeating other Mujahideen factions. One of their most notorious acts in 2001 was to destroy the giant 5th century Buddhas carved into the mountains in Bamiyan. The Taliban blew up the towering sculptures with rockets, tank shells, and dynamite. When the Taliban took over Afghanistan last summer, some said they had changed, but much remained the same, including their attitude toward Hazaras. Last July, the Taliban killed nine Hazara men in Ghazni, a province southeast of Kabul. In August, just after the Taliban gained control of the country, Amnesty documented another massacre in the central province of Dekundi. The Taliban killed 13 Hazaras there, including a 17-year-old girl. Around the same time, some Taliban decapitated a statue of a renowned Hazara leader, Abdul Ali Mazari, in Bamiyan City, the capital of the province that Hamid had fled to as a boy. Mazari was actually killed by the Taliban in 1995 when he went to meet them for peace talks. So I think symbolically the fact that you're destroying a statue of important political leader for the Hazaras kind of shows what your intentions are and kind of the direction of your rule and what it means for these people going forward. That's Rabia Khan, an academic in the UK who did her doctoral research on the Hazara community. In the late 1800s, Khan told me Hazaras had their own self-governing region in the central part of the country an area known as Hazarajat. But at the end of the 19th century, the Hazara circumstances suddenly and drastically changed. The rhetoric of religion was used to justify a really horrific and severe war against the Hazaras, which started around 1890 and lasted for several years. Um, and in that time, countless Hazaras were massacred and many Hazara women were raped. Many were forced to flee to Iran and the part of British-occupied India that is now Pakistan. In the 1920s, a new Afghan king outlawed slavery. But for Hazaras, the practice continued. They were the cheapest slaves in Kabul. So what we see in the earliest 20th century is although the war has ended for some time, perception of Hazaras as the slave class and having a low, low social status is something very prevalent in the wider society. So that's something very widespread in the early to even mid 20th century. And that uh, perception even, you can even say it persists to this day when we started to see more Hazara visibility in, in more recent years. The 1990s, when Hamid was growing up, was a pivotal period for Hazaras in Afghanistan. And again, they'd be mocked and ridiculed for their appearance. So even the word Hazara was used as a pejorative, um, not only in the 1990s, but even now Hazara is used as a pejorative by some people. And that there are even specific racial slurs that are used um, in reference to Hazaras only and not other ethnic communities. And the most common one that came up in my um, interactions and discussions was with the Hazara community was a racial slur, which I won't say in Persian, but the translation in English is Ratita. eater. 
After the United States forced the Taliban from power in 2001, Hazaras welcomed the new Western-backed government and embraced opportunities, particularly for education. They routinely scored at the top of the national university entrance exams, and Hazara-majority areas recorded among the highest voter turnout in elections. Many went to work for Western NGOs and the government. But with that progress came risks. So you you see this kind of very strange situation unfold post-2001 in terms of visibility and representation, but how that's also almost a threat for the community because in having this heightened visibility, there's now this perception that Hazaras are now a threat, so something needs to be done about that. I thought of the story my dad had told me about the killing of Hazaras in northern Afghanistan. My parents left Afghanistan in the 1990s to escape persecution and give my siblings and me a better life. That's what Hamid wanted for his kids, and especially for his daughter, Eliza. I'm eight, eight years old. Ah, kodom mazmoon khush dori? Mazmoon dari riyazi. Dari riyazi? Chura dari riyazi? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. After we failed to get Hamid and his family out of Afghanistan, I kept in touch with him through my colleagues at Dosi Network, an organization I founded last year to help Afghans get aid and support and to leave the country if necessary. But after the U.S. pulled out, many countries refused to help more Afghans evacuate. Hamid worked for a French nonprofit organization, Jeris, which focuses on climate and the environment. The French government, I think, turned their backs on a lot of the civil society workers that they funded through their programs, which is a shame because if you really think about it, it's like the whole idea of like trying to build up Afghanistan really was the idea that you tell people not to, say, pick up guns and fight through politics. That's the American I'm calling Michael, who worked with Hamid and tried to help him and his family leave last year. The whole idea of having a peaceful civil society was what NATO was trying to push, right, to to build up this country. So, you know, you can't just say that it's just the military members that were the ones that were at risk here. It was actually a lot of the civilian and civil society workers were were really critical part to any kind of, you know, Afghanistan that would be peaceful and would actually be built under the principles that NATO was trying to achieve. 
On March 24, I sent Hamid a text message to find out how he was doing and if he was still in Kabul. A missile striking an industrial park in western Ukraine. A helicopter assault on an airport outside of Kiev. Close, intense fighting. And there are civilian casualties. The war in Ukraine had started a month earlier. Europe, Canada, the UK and the US had welcomed thousands of Ukrainian refugees, while Afghans still had to jump through hoops and fill out endless forms. Hamid sent me a voice memo while standing in line at the passport office. Assalamualaikum, salam. Khub asti, sehat khub ba bakhsh ki mada line passport badam. Hamid told me that he was still in Kabul and that he and Jamila recently had a baby boy. Hamid was trying to get their travel documents in order when Afghanistan suddenly burst into the news again. Three blasts rocked the Afghan capital, Kabul, on Tuesday. They appeared to target schools and six people were killed. On April 19, a school called Abdul Rahim Shaheed, known for its students' educational achievements, was attacked. Hamid had studied there himself years earlier. The recent attack uh, in Abdul Rahim Shaheed High School had reportedly killed about 200 uh, of school children. This attack uh, also uh, was called the series of ISIS attacks that uh, targeted Hazara Shia ethnicities in west of uh, Kabul, particularly their uh, school uh, children in this uh, area. Dashtabarchi had gained a reputation as a place where Hazaras could get a good education for their kids and lift their families out of poverty. But since 2015, deadly attacks like these had grown common. That status and reputation of the area really changed post-2001 because there were so many targeted attacks against Hazaras there. Although there have been great achievements and the community has really worked hard um, to lift themselves out of their previous circumstances, um, you know, there were outside elements that made it very hard to just live a normal life as a Hazara in Kabul since 2001. Bombings were occurring so frequently, the shock of them wore off. Hamid would try to find out who was killed, how many people were injured, and if any of the victims were family members. There were times where he was close, 500 meters from a targeted school. Bomb attacks had become a part of everyday life for them. So far, the Taliban has allowed education for girls up to 6th grade in schools that are segregated by sex. But Hamid and Jamila moved often to avoid being found by the Taliban. And they were too scared to send Eliza to school most days because of the threat of violence. After the attack at Shahid school, Hamid decided he'd had enough. He would take his family to Bamiyan. So this past May, they fled Kabul and made their way north. Bamiyan was familiar, but it was far from the life Hamid and Jamila had imagined for themselves and their children. We 
We don't have hope, we don't have motivation. We are always thinking about how can we live. We don't feel free. Even now when I'm at home and my head is not covered, I constantly make sure the curtains are closed so that the Taliban don't see and send propagation of virtue to inspect. Why is this woman walking around home without her head covered? I have no interest in going out. I am at home all day. Hamid had managed to renew his and his family's passports and to get one for his son, but they still couldn't leave. Having a passport is one side of the matter. The visa to leave the country is another side of the problem. So it is the only two countries we have, like Iran and Pakistan, the they gave us visa. So if you go to Iran or Pakistan, we cannot accommodate. We don't have like our expenses to live there. That is why we prefer to be here under the Taliban rule. In Bamiyan, Hamid registered Eliza for school. But like Jamila, he felt lost. Stay in Afghanistan. It is also scary here. And also it is, uh, everything is unknown. We don't know what happens next. What is waiting for us? We don't know days and nights what will happen, what our future would be, what should we do, which way we should follow to reach to our goal or to at least to stay safe. And it is a kind of uh, advice for myself just to be patient. It is the only option right now. Last month, I messaged Hamid to see how he was doing. He replied with amazing news. He and his family had made it to Pakistan. I reached him by phone there on August 15, exactly a year after Kabul fell to the Taliban. Hello? Okay, so it's, it's great to hear that you've heard back about your P2 application. I had completely forgotten that you had applied for that. Would it be possible if you could share about the process of the P2 application for the U.S.? When I received the approval for my P2 application for the U.S. program, uh, I got so happy. It was a cheerful moment uh, uh, sharing this good news uh, with my wife and my little kids. A few months after the final U.S. withdrawal last year, Hamid had applied to come to the United States through what's known as the Priority 2 or P2 program. It's a visa program for Afghans who worked as employees, contractors, or interpreters for U.S. and NATO forces, for U.S.-funded programs or projects, or for U.S.-based media organizations and NGOs. I knew Hamid had worked for Jaris, but it turns out he'd also worked for an Afghan NGO that was funded by the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. On August 2nd, about a year after he applied, 
he got an email from the U.S. government saying that he and his family met the eligibility requirements for the program. When I received the approval for my PETA application, uh, actually it was in the morning. Uh, when I shared uh, this good news with my, my wife, uh, she suddenly stood up. She got so happy uh, to express her feelings by uh, shaking her hands and heads to dance. And uh, she got so hopeful and also she got surprised. Uh, she uh, was hopeful that uh, uh, we would all uh, would be able to leave this country uh, finally. Hamid and his family drove from Bamiyan to Kabul and then took a taxi to the Pakistani border. The crossing was hot and crowded and Hamid worried that his kids might get sick or overheated. But after 12 hours, they made it. They stayed in a hotel for a couple of nights in Islamabad, then found a house to rent. The U.S. makes Afghans go to a third country to await the next stage in their immigration process. Hamid and Jamila don't speak Urdu, and they don't have visas that allow them to work in Pakistan. Do you have any thoughts about living in Pakistan and how long you'd be able to live there? Because you have to wait for a couple of months until the P2 process moves forward. Our concern is uh, the unemployment uh, for refugees. For sure, I'm looking for a job uh, for myself and my, uh, my wife too. Uh, and uh, in Pakistan, particularly in Islamabad, it is very difficult uh, to find uh, a proper job. And also it is very low uh, paid job that it uh, does not uh, cover the family expenses and it is very difficult to afford. Leaving Afghanistan, as anyone who's done it knows, comes with its own difficulties. Just ask my father. So you're now in Virginia. What is it like living there? Living there is... have some uh, benefits and some... It's good in 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 the other side. It's hard to live in USA. You have to you have to work. You have to um, you miss your uh, friends, uh, family. Now you can speak, you but <laughs> there are no people to listen to you. <laughs> This is the difference. <laughs> My father is safe, but his life isn't the same. And it never will be. And it never will be for Hamid and his family. Does getting this email and now moving to Pakistan, waiting for this process of P2, is it giving you hope about being able to have a future that you hope for, for yourself and your for your family? Actually, it is not uh, very certain that uh, I can move to U.S. one day because I am, st- I am right now in the third country. 
So I hope so, but it will happen one day to go to U.S. It is the only chance I have right now, and I hope so it will happen one day. No Way Home is a production of The Intercept and New America's Afghanistan Observatory Scholars Program. This episode was written and reported by me, Sumaya Tora. Our executive producer and editor is Vanessa Gizari. Supervising producer and editor is Laura Flynn. Candice Rando is the director of Future Frontlines Program, New America, and project editor. Ali Yawar Adli is the Afghanistan Observatory Project Coordinator. Laura Flynn and Jose Olivares produced this episode. Rick Kwan mixed this episode. Zach Young composed our theme music. Legal review by David Brelo. Fact-checking by Emily Schneider. Avista Ayub is the director and project manager of New America's Fellows Program. Voiceover in this episode by Humaira Rahbin. To learn more, visit theintercept.com where you can find transcripts and show art. Philip Hubert is our visual designer and Nara Shin, our copy editor. Roger Hodge is editor-in-chief of The Intercept. If you want to give us feedback or have any questions, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.